Once upon a time, there was a group of neighbors, and they decided they wanted to build a neighborhood swimming pool. So they got together, and they all pitched in some money. You might say they pooled their resources. Sorry, irresistible. They pooled their resources, and they bought a vacant lot in the middle of the neighborhood, and they had a pool dug out and a nice pool house put in next to it. They made a plan for paying their ongoing dues for maintenance. And they fenced it in, and they put up an entrance booth with signs that said, members only, because it was for them. It was the neighborhood pool. And members could bring guests, of course. And fair enough, because it was a neighborhood pool, and they had put up the expenses for it and the energy and time and effort. And it was for them to get something good back out of it. The pool existed for the neighborhood. It existed for the benefit of its members. Once upon a time, there was a group of neighbors who decided they wanted to have a church. So they got together and they pooled their resources and they built a nice building and got together on Sundays to pray and sing. And they hired some staff to lead them and to help them teach their children and lead them in music and counsel them when they were struggling. And they made a plan to pay their dues on an ongoing basis, except they called it pledging. And they put up some big signs that said, members only, so that non-members couldn't just walk in. Because after all, this was a neighborhood church and they had put up the money and the expenses to make it and so it was for them to benefit from it, right? No! No, no, that's not how the church works. That's not what God's church is for. And there is a difference between a neighborhood swimming pool and the church of Jesus Christ. And the difference is as the 20th century Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, put it, he said, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not yet its members. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not yet its members. Now, I think William Temple may have overstated his case a little because I can think of other organizations that are actually dedicated to serving people that are not their members. I can think of the Red Cross or Doctors Without Borders and so on. But I think William Temple got it right that the church is more like the Red Cross than we're like a neighborhood swimming pool because we are an institution or an organization or better yet, a movement with a mission. We don't gather to serve ourselves. And the mission that brings us together is God's mission. It's the mission of the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve. James and John, these two disciples that Jesus had nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, 
probably because they're so headstrong, come to Jesus with their own interests at heart. And I love the way they open the conversation because it sounds so much like a cagey child coming to a parent. I'm not going to tell you what I'm asking for, but just promise that you'll say yes to whatever we're about to ask you. Teacher, give us whatever we ask for. And Jesus, quite wisely, refuses to take the bait and says, what is it you would like to ask for? And they want the two best places in Jesus's kingdom. They would like to sit in his glory, one on his right and one at his left. It's presumptuous. It makes the other 10 disciples angry, whether because it's so presumptuous or because they didn't think of it first, we aren't told. But although it's presumptuous, it's not really so unreasonable when you think about it. Because James and John have put a lot into this Jesus movement. They've put their blood, sweat, and tears into following this preacher. Sleepless nights, nights on the road, leaving behind family and friends and possessions, risking a lot on behalf of this wandering teacher. And they want to make sure that their sacrifice is going to be worth it. They would like to know that there is something in it for them at the end. And who wouldn't? They want their sacrifice to be worth something. And we use that word sacrifice in that way a lot. We think about making a sacrifice now to get something better down the road, whether it's eating well or studying hard or practicing an instrument. Make a sacrifice now, do something difficult, forego some kind of pleasure in favor of getting something that you want even more down the road. And that's a certain kind of sacrifice. But Jesus calls James and John to a different way, which isn't about sacrifice on behalf of the self, but sacrifice on behalf of others. He says that his life is about serving rather than being served. And he opens their eyes to the reality that his kingdom means drinking a bitter cup and undergoing a hard baptism, a baptism of fire, a baptism of the cross. And in fact, he tells them that they will learn to walk the way of the cross, even though they don't understand it now. They want to sit at Jesus's right and left. And in fact, later on in Mark's gospel, we will get a kind of quiet visual demonstration of what it means to be at the right and left hand of Jesus. Because when he's crucified, the gospel tells us that he is crucified between two bandits. One is at his right, and one is at his left. And it's as if that tableau of Jesus on the cross is the key to this passage. It's the answer to James and John because this is where Jesus receives his glory. This is what it is to be with him in his glory. It's not a kind of glory that's about finery and recognition. 
It's about faithfulness and servanthood and love even unto death. It's about a mission. Now right now in our parish, among other things, we're in the middle of a pledge campaign. A time when we ask each of our members, each of us, to pray and plan and discern how much money we are each going to commit to the work of this congregation in the year ahead. And we want to ask each of us to make that decision to give in a way that is sacrificial, in a way that is not just tossing in a pittance to check a box, but that represents a real commitment of resources that God has put into our care. This is a time when we pool our resources. But we're not building a neighborhood pool for our own members to splash around in. Actually, we're building a public pool with open doors. And it's our neighbors that we are inviting into God's pool, into the waters of baptism, which are there for anyone who doesn't yet know the love of Jesus and the joy and challenge of following him. Or to just mix our metaphors completely, we want this place at Mendocino and 10th Street to be not a walled garden for us to enjoy, but a kind of launch pad that sends us out on mission. Now that doesn't mean that we sell off the buildings and the vestments, or cancel the music program, or stop doing pastoral care. There are things that we do within these walls, within this campus, that are part of our showing God's love to a world in need. So beauty and transcendence in worship, those are one of the primary ways that we proclaim God's glory. Caring for one another is one of the primary signs of the presence of Jesus Christ among us. So being on mission isn't about only doing external things and nothing that builds up our congregation. But what it does mean is that whatever we do is for the glory of God and for the well-being of God's world. That everything we do as a parish is meant to help us grow more like Jesus and share God's love with the world around us that so desperately needs it. So I hope you'll make a pledge this year, of course, as I will. And I hope you'll do it with joy in the conviction that God is calling us not to be served, but to serve. And that we are doing something more than just building something for us to enjoy. We are building something that Jesus can use to transform the world. Because God is calling us to be part of a movement. One that won't end until everyone everywhere knows the love and grace of the living God. We are on a mission.